welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 52. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And on this uh, late edition of um, Trek Companion, we're recording late at night, unlike our usual recording time. Uh, we are going to be featuring uh, next gen first season episodes Lonely Among Us, Justice, and the Battle. Here we go. <laughs> Lonely Among Us, Season 1, Episode 6, Production Number 108, directed by Cliff Bowl, story by Michael Halperin, teleplay by DC Fontana, music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include John Durbin as Sestar, Colmini as First Security Guard, and Kabi Raz as Singh. While transporting two adversary civilizations to a conference planet of Parliament, the Enterprise passes through a mysterious cloud containing combinations of complex energy patterns. Immediately, strange things begin to happen to the crew. It seems that both Lieutenant Worf and Dr. Crusher have become afflicted with confusing behavior, while the ship malfunctions and repairs itself with no available explanation. I have an announcement for the entire bridge. As many of you suspected, when our ship passed through the edge of this, it accidentally carried away a sentient being, much like these energy patterns we're seeing here. Terrifying experience for any intelligent being. All right, Lonely Among Us. Um, Well, among other things, the purpose of this episode, I believe, is to establish that uh, there are no rules against smoking a pipe on the Enterprise. <laughs> and also or, or, there are apparently no there are apparently no rules against um hypnotizing people because Troy hypnotizes both Crusher and Worf. That's, yeah, that's yeah. fine. And there there's loose reactions to um guests eating other guests. Yeah. Well that's you know <laughs> uh yeah, speaking of the Antiquans versus the Sele, is that how you pronounce it? Sele? Sele. Um what do you think of their makeup, huh? Pretty elaborate. You know what it reminds me of? I and this is this is going to sound negative because it um because it is. <laughs> but it reminds me of like say Star Trek 4 um the the very end of Star Trek 4, right? When they're all getting their commendations and stuff yeah, in that. Yeah. And you see all these aliens seated in the bleachers or whatever on the sides. And these are characters that were never meant to be like super close up. Their their costumes aren't for that. They're so they're so a couple of them are so wild, like that blue lady with the big head or whatever. They're so wild and nutty, and they're just they're just big background things. This is like that except featured, and it, and it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it feels exactly like what it is, which is you know a guy in a suit, but. <laughs> Which Fortunately, really comes through in HD as well. <laughs> exactly, it definitely looks like I don't, I don't remember thinking it. Um, I certainly didn't think it back in the day. I think more mm-hmm. recently, as I've seen images and stuff, they they felt kind of, you know, I mean, the guy turns his head and his whole body has to turn. You know, they've certainly felt as dated as they are. And then, yeah, in HD, it's it's kind of nutty. Um, but you know, this, they are not the. I say featured, but they're not the primary storyline. There's, I guess this episode almost has a B, but not. it's not quite enough to actually be its own storyline, I suppose. No? It might have been su- served better with a stronger B story. Yeah. Um, well, the B story kind of reminded me of... Um, uh, what's the original series? DC Fontana. 
where they're taking all the representatives to like a conference. Oh, Journey to Babel. Journey to Babel, right? Yeah, kind of. It briefly reminds me of that, but then it doesn't really yeah, go that direction. Um, well, I'm monopolizing the conversation. <laughs> Caesar, uh, what do you think? Of this one? Oh, Steve, go ahead. No, I was just going to comment one significant thing, of course, is the beginning of the Sherlock Holmes fascination here. You know, That's the coolest thing. And, and I, didn't rem- I did not remember that Picard gives that to Data. I did not remember that. No, I didn't. Yeah. I kind of so forgot that as well. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of so, felt go, – go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I didn't like this episode that much, but, um, you know, Stephen brings up there's there's moments in this episode that I really like. Um, there's a couple of good moments with Worf. He's complaining about having to study. There's there's these little character moments where, you know, you can see, the, you know, the relationships building. And um, I enjoyed that aspect of this episode. Um, I think I might have liked this episode better, except for the endings. Very, very cheesy. Yes. Very Star Trek-y. Um, but I found myself interested up until that point. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is how this one ends. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did enjoy some of the, the, the small <laughs> moments with each of the characters. It definitely has some good moments. I, I agree with that. It has some good lines out of context. <laughs> Picard has a line, which is one of my favorites from this season, certainly. What's happened to your mind, Doctor? <laughs> uh, that's good. Um yeah, it's like it's just uh, it's just um, the whole the whole episode is just so heavy handed, um, like uh, Crusher. <clears throat> sorry, um, Crusher. When when she get I, in my notes here, I call it the zap. Like Worf got the zap, and then yeah. Crusher got the zap. So when Crusher got the zap, now Picard though at the end he only gets a half zap. Mm-hmm. Okay, but when Crusher gets the zap. She gets the full zap, and she goes in and sits down with like uh, Wesley, and she goes, "Oh yes, Helm is on the bridge. Something wrong, mom? You know, something wrong, mom?" And it's just, a, it's like, yeah, okay, that's kind of that's pretty heavy-handed. You know, it's not really. It's uh, the whole episode is very on the nose. What you see is what you get. Um, it's very plot-heavy, and um, you know. I, I I hate to say, but probably, well, not the battle. I guess is probably okay, but obviously this episode and justice are not. They're not very good. This is not a, this is not a very good episode. Well, I say out of the three, this is the weakest. So we're getting it out of the way. I think I think you know what I think, and this is more of a general comment on this first season, I guess, but. <clears throat> I think we see a lot of this kind of thing primarily because there's so much of the creative crew still from the original series that are here, you know, and until they all leave at the end, at the end of the season or whatever, many do, this is what we get. We get a lot of, a lot of uh, people that have their ideas and their notions uh, that are some, they still are holdovers from how they did it 20 years prior. And, um, you know, that, that was then, and this is the, this is the eighties and nineties and it, and it just didn't, it just didn't keep up, you know, and fortunately the series survived this first season and changed and into what, you know, especially by the third season is really getting going. But, uh, that's why we see so much of this stuff. I think it's just, you know, it's the writers and production crew and such. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, uh, I'll discuss it briefly at the end of our podcast, but you know, last week I went to the, that Thursday night event where they played a couple episodes, you know, the Fathom event where they played a couple episodes from next gen second mm-hmm, season mm-hmm. on screen for the Blu-ray release. And uh, of course, both those episodes were kick ass episodes, you know, Q who and measure of a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and I was it, it was it's almost disheartening to st- when you haven't watched Next Gen in a while to watch some of these early first season episodes. Um, maybe that's an exaggeration, but you you get my point. Uh, and then I I was seeing those on screen, and then like and yes, this is Next Gen. I mean, this is good. This is what I'm watching it for, you know. Um, and uh, so I think you're right. I think like into the second season, so enough of those people left that, yeah, there's still some clunkers in season two, but we get a couple of these incredible episodes like that already in season two, you know? And and that's with no history um, of the new new universe like DS9 and Voyager both launched with. Um, so you get maybe a few clunkers and then a couple of incredible episodes in season two so that by the time you're into season three, there's, there's, a, it's a, there's a higher bar. Um, so really, I think we're, we keep watching, we keep discussing these, these earlier first season episodes. Um, and we're just, we're trying to find the good in them. Cause let's face it, we still enjoy watching them cause they are Star Trek. <laughs> you know, I, I look at them as like transition episodes. I think we talked a little bit about this in our last podcast, how, you know, they hadn't got their style set and everything like that. And, you know, you can you kind of have to think about it in context. You know, they're like, what, six, what are we, six episodes in or something like that? So, yeah, you, you get these episodes that feel like the original series. But I don't think for the time it probably it was probably actually planned that way. So you could get original fans more involved, you know, kind of giving them a, a little bit of a familiarity. It didn't play off very well in this episode, but I can see what they were trying to do. Just have those episodes... <coughs> you know, for the original fans and kind of, kind of keep that going. And then they kick it into gear later on into their own style. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to say a couple <laughs> about, about this episode. Uh, well, we, we, you know, you know, you're possessed when you have reverb on your voice. We got that consistent <laughs> element going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I, the line about you've seen something as fresh and tasty as meat, but created by our replicators. <laughs> the, there's, there's some fundamental problems wrong with that line. Like, you know, in, is it, aren't we saying in this universe they haven't had meat in so long and that they always use the replicators, and but yet they still think of meat as fresh and tasty, you know, and like <laughs> so fresh and tasty, why not eat meat? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, just little things like that. Um that's refrigerator logic that I'm not supposed to think about. Uh, it was the dawn of the vegans in Star Trek Next Gen. We don't enslave our animals anymore. Uh, that's right. Um, so that'd be funny if we decided that's what this episode, the theme was, is trying to be about. Um, uh, Jordy, Crusher, Riker, Troy, and Data have a scene where they basically discuss mutiny. That's kind of nutty. Yeah. And, you know, what's funny is, uh, kind of related to that, this is the, uh, you know, this one and the, the not the next, but the next one we're going to watch. So the first and third episodes we're going to discuss today both have Picard getting kooky. And I don't yeah. know if it's such a good idea to have so much kookiness in your captain so early on. You know? so, yeah, uh, I noticed that too. We'll get into that later, I suppose. Hmm. So what variation of kooky would have been okay, I think, what is the <laughs> question? I think maybe someone else needed to be kooky in one of them. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So do, I, I was thinking about it. I was like, do you think it's irresponsible when you have dignitaries, so-called dignitaries, on a ship to go explore some unknown gaseous cloud that's doing weird things? I was curious about that. Yeah, I, I had that same that same uh, thought. Um, but 
you know, what's happened to your mind? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> um, yeah, like the 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 whole ending bit about him finding his way back to the transporter, the peas showing up on the on the. Um, and then he doesn't remember. Yeah, and then he doesn't remember what. Oh, I guess because it was the version of yeah, and like well. You know, you can't really fault this for future Trek logic, but certainly in future Trek, the way they established what the transporter is capable of, this seems beyond it. You know, yeah. as far as its ability to either maintain a, a pattern in a buffer, or if the pattern is out there, to bring it back. Um, it's more like they cloned him. Hey, yeah. Um, uh, even the sequence when, like, he's doing, like, trying to zap, like, Picard half zap is trying to zap everybody on the bridge, mm-hmm. and Troy's like, he's blinding me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's it's um a lot of silliness. Yeah, it's, it's silly. silly. It's kind of silly. Now, I do not remember watching this for the first time. I do not remember that this in 1987. And I've asked this question many times. But I mean, was it silly in 1987? I don't. Th- my guess is no. What was there to compare it to for, you know, uh, sci-fi primetime TV in the late 80s? Anything I can possibly try and think of is probably much sillier. I don't know. Well, yeah, what, well, yeah Battlestar was still around, Buck Rogers, and, you know, oh, the original like Star Trek. 70s. Well, they were still, and they, you know, those were all reruns. You know, right, reruns. I'm talking about what was being produced to compare it to. What was um, Sequest produced? Not Sequest, um, the Spielberg's thing, the... Submarine, that was kind of sci-fi-ish, but I think that came a couple of years later. Yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No. Now I'm gonna have to look it up. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's probably, I mean, it probably was only silly to people that aren't really into sci-fi to begin with, because yeah, if you look back to the, a lot of those uh, series that were in the '70s and such, they had plenty of silly moments too, from what I recall. So, um, yeah, it's probably just a dated we, thing. But look at it this way: DS9 is five or six years later, right? Mm-hmm. Did we react this way to the first season of DS9 when we discussed it a couple of years ago? It doesn't feel like that. No, no. They're, well, they're, they're well, everything clunkers, was established but, yeah. by then. Yeah. So you know, I guess next, next gen, it was really good. I mean, when were they in their sixth season when DS9 started? So, or seventh. But yeah, it was really good by then, you know, so we knew what to, ex- kinda yeah. what to expect. I guess it just keeps going back to they really are establishing this this new timeline or not timeline, but this new, you know, time and atmosphere and, and almost universe is almost a century after Kirk. Um, and they're, they're doing all of that. And they're even establishing the way the episodes are going to work and trying to find something different from the original track versus uh, without, you know, against not going too far, like Caesar, you mentioned to try and keep the Star Trek fans in. So, I don't know. I guess we're continually kind of talking around the actual episode because it's just not as interesting to us. (laughs) Yeah. But that's not the purpose of our show, so I keep... I'm trying to get us back on track, folks. I'm sorry about that. Um, So, and, you know, I just... uh, It's a very... It's very heavy-handed. Mr. Singh should have been wearing a red shirt, probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what what little room was that 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 Worf and Geordi were working in? 
some kind of sensor room, which we, I don't know we see that anymore or much anymore. Yeah. Memory of that room. That was weird. It looks, yeah. Um, okay. So we, so that, we get to see the beginnings of 10 forward in the next episode, I think. Oh. Well, 10 forward doesn't come around until second season, but like there's that. Well, I'll tell you later. Okay. okay. Um, anything else, guys, on this episode? What's it about? What's it about? Oh, hey. First time we get to see dress uniforms. True. Yeah. Uh, what's it about? If you see a purple cloud, don't fly up next to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it about anything else? Yeah, I'd really have to be creative to come up with something. I enjoyed watching this episode of Star Trek because it was Star Trek and it was the first time I'd seen it in HD. Well, yes, yes, of course. And I, I think our conversation sometimes sounds like, I, I just want to remind people, hey, we love Star Trek. I would rather watch this than something that isn't Star Trek. <laughs> wait, wait, well, we talked about the positive, you know, there's a bunch of little interaction character moments that, that were really good in this episode. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed. Beginning of Sherlock Holmes with Data. Uh, beginning, uh, seeing some of the Wharf humor type stuff really come to the fore and that kind of thing. And yeah, and watching HD. You know, I think our our listeners are intelligent people. You know, they they know these guys come together every two weeks to do a podcast. They they like Star Trek. You know, so if they're making if they're being critical about it, it's because it's kind of it's kind of our job and what we're doing here. If we just came in and said like everything's great, why would people bother listening? You know, we're we're just analyzing. That's a good point. And Brian, it was Sequest. It starred Roy Schneider. You don't remember that show? I thought that was in the 90s. Yeah, it was in, It came out, I think, 92, 93 is what I saw. But I remember that Spielberg had to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Spielberg oh. produced it. Okay. Um, so, and Caesar, you have nothing for what it's about? No. Character development. That's what Character. it's about. Okay, let's just go. All right. <laughs> Six Degrees for Lonely Among Us. Uh, Steve. Mm-hmm. John Durbin plays Zestar, I guess. I don't know if we ever hear that name. The Seelay that requested his quarters be upwind of the Anticants. In Next Gen's sixth season, Durbin played the Cardassian Lamech, part of a Cardassian conspiracy to kidnap and torture Picard. Name this two-part episode that featured four, count them, four lights. <laughs> of course I remember it, but now I'm trying to remember the title of the episode. Um... Gosh, I just haven't thought about it in a while. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to come up with the title. Teaser? I know the episode. They're great episodes, but I don't know the title either. Chain of Command? Oh, uh, yes. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, Adam, Mark Alemo plays the leader of the Antiquan delegation, who prefers his meals rather fresh. <laughs> To eventually becoming Ducat on DS9, Alemo would be seen again at the end of this first season of Next Gen as Romulan Commander Tebok in the episode The Neutral Zone. In this episode, three cryogenically frozen humans are brought back to life. What century do they come from? Uh, the 20th. You are correct, the 20th. Moving on. <laughs> 
Justice, Season 1, Episode 7, Production Number 109, Original Air Date, November 9th, 1987, Directed by James L. Conway, Story by Worley Thorne and Ralph Wills, Teleplay by Worley Thorne, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Brenda Bach as Rivon, Jay Luden as Liator, Josh Clark as Khan, David Q. Combs as First Mediator, Richard Laven as Second Mediator, Judith Jones as Edo Girl, Eric Matthew as First Edo Boy, Brad Zerbst as Medical Technician, and David Michael Graves the second Edo boy. The crew anxiously awaits a pending shore leave on the pastoral planet of Rubicon 3. The civilization, whose inhabitants are known as the Edo, are brimming with love, health, and sensual pleasure. Vacation plans are suddenly thwarted, though, when Wesley innocently violates a planet law and is sentenced to death, while at the same time the Enterprise is confronted by a mysterious vessel. Having fulfilled my professional obligations regarding Commander Data... You now request permission to beam down to the planet. Permission granted. You can accompany me while I try and resolve this. And you should know that, whatever the cost, I will not allow them to execute your son. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You know, a bat. A bat, you know. (laughs) But, but, but... (laughs) I will say that I appreciate one thing very much from this episode. And in a weird way, this is an episode that, that like is a complete exception to the purpose of our show or, or, or uh, okay. In our show, our podcast, when something really is about something, when an episode is really about something, when it has strong universal themes, they withstand the test of time and the episode is good and it holds up. Now this episode, I appreciate very much that they are really trying to make it about something. There's no doubt that it, they're trying to ask some weighty questions, but it's still not good. <laughs> it's not well, a good sorry. episode. So it, it, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. So, but I'm just saying it's it's like um, it, it kind of it, it proves that that our uh, our podcast is not without its own set of flaws because <laughs> here we have an episode clearly about something, but clearly not good. Well, I would say, well, go ahead, Steve. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I would say, like, this This episode starts off so hokey and so lighthearted. You know, I mean, you got some humor with Worf. You got Wesley being Wesley. And, you know, obviously you got half-naked people running around. So you come into this episode going, all right, it's going to be one of these. And um, then it gets kind of, it gets really serious. And like you said, it asks really hard questions and stuff like that. And it's almost... They almost go too far one way for me to come back to where they came from. Um, I like this episode, um, and I do think it has something to say. Well, it's it's one of those that um, uh, who who was the writer on this one, Steve? It's um, whoever Worley Thorne and Ralph Wills are. Yeah, tell so it, like, tell you. Yeah, Ralph Wills is a pseudonym I, for the guy that actually wrote it because uh, it's so far from what his script originally was mm. that he wanted his name taken off of it. Um, so it's one of those things where maybe it has some, it has some good ideas and then they just probably, you know, rewrote it to death or something, you know? Yeah. It's just, it, yeah, it's the, it's the execution. I mean, if you, if you just like a very brief plot thing, like A to B, B to C, et cetera. Yeah. You'd think, okay, we might have something going here, but it's the execution. I mean, it's the way it looks, the way they speak, things like that. I mean, I think that's why you were talking about the, 
exception to the rule. I mean, you know, if if you cross a point where the execution is so poor, you mm. know, it's just a matter of you know, it's, you know, people. You know, it probably would have been better if people just been sitting around a table uh, doing a read through of this than the actual episode. You know, <laughs> it would have that's, been, that's, been cheaper, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but we we miss out on the scantily clad people. Now, saying that that because of that, that's really why this is memorable. To, memorable for me, I guess. I mean, I I really remember this episode. Now, you know, I was a teenager at the time, and it was probably like, oh, one of my favorites now. You know, watching this or something, just because these chicks running around scantily clad, but. But even that is weak because, like, right near the beginning, uh, Riker says to, I think, to Troy, they certainly are fit. And here they come along, and, I mean, yeah, like, the guy is not fat or something, but he is not (laughs) fit. (laughs) That guy is not, I don't know, Tom Cruise even. Like, he's not, he's got no abs. He's got no six-pack, for example, you know? Right. They're average people that are wearing the right stuff, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Um, so that that seemed like a stretch, but, you know, shall we stay and play it, love? You know, oh it's got goodness. a lot of corny lines that uh, don't exactly hold up. You know, fundamentally, and again, this is something I mentioned in the last episode, I don't, it, it's hard to like knock an episode. It's like saying, you know, did Spock smile in uh, Menagerie or something? You know, once, if it's before we've really established stuff, you can't really knock. Um, knock him for this, but fundamentally, this episode they shouldn't even have been interacting with them, right? Didn't no, they? That's, that's the first thing I wrote down in my notes. I said, they're, I first thing I wrote down pre-warp, is they're a pre warp yeah. society, so we should not have contacted them, right? And, and this raises the question I don't recall when in the whole history of Star Trek it was established that prime directive means don't is one of the things prime directive means is don't mess around with pre-war civilizations was that established in the original series i know prime directive was mentioned but i don't recall if that was an element of it i don't think it was but it definitely is obviously it is in next gen say an insurrection the way we the way the movie opens this is after next gen the series but the way the movie opens with the duck blind and stuff but i there are other plenty of examples in next gen like when when is the paul no, what's his last name? Uh, Warp's half brother or brother? Late sixth, sixth yeah, seventh. Like, but well, that's an example where definitely they're following that rule, trying well, not to enter in a pre-warp society. Because of this mission, they had a review board, and then they set <laughs> the rules. <laughs> yeah, it's pre-warp is yeah. So clearly, this hadn't had established, but it makes it very contradictory. It's like, okay, we got to play along with whatever they're doing, but we're just going to go down and, and mess it, with anybody, you know. It also very perfectly establishes shows why that's a great rule. Yeah, you know because we wouldn't have gotten to this thing where these the damn primitives were going to execute Wesley for crushing some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just replace the episode synopsis with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but if you look at if you look at what this episode is trying to say, and I, the reason I think it's better than the last episode we talked about, they get into those questions about the prime directive and about these moral dilemmas, and and um, so it, you're right when you said it. It is trying to say something, and it is trying to establish the prime directive even more. I think this is probably the second episode we've had that's been kind of been about the prime directive so far. Mm-hmm. It's here's a, a side comment too. It's so bizarre to me. It still feels really bizarre to watch an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation that is so that is so it is still very dated, right? Um, 
uh, and not one of the better episodes, but very like this feels like 1987, but that looks so incredibly good in HD, like they shot it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so bizarre. It's like it's like I'm traveling through time to see this. The, like I shouldn't be able to see it like this. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a weird. It's it's not exact. It's not an altogether pleasant feeling. Let me tell you. It's just bizarre and at <laughs> times disturbing. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I don't, I, 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 don't don't you just adjust on or you know usually when I watch stuff that's better quality, I forget about it after about five minutes. No, but my brain had no concept of and like like dated eighty nineteen eighty seven next gen is supposed to remain dated and seeing it look this clear but still seeing you know man skirts <laughs> you can't have both is I guess it's like it it needs to feel dated otherwise it just doesn't make sense I don't know I, I think I think we get yeah I think we get we've spoken to this but I think we get so used to certain things especially things that we've seen many times and the quality of it in a way and so it's a very it's very uh, it's very strange when when that changes I think it'd be the same effect if I don't know. Just imagine some some um, you know some actor or something of that nature that you've only seen in in black and white and uh, like you know Academy Ratio or something. And all of a sudden, someone dug up some footage of this guy that's you know on the contrary, it's in Technicolor and well, I don't know it, stuff like that where it'd just be so like what I, I don't get it. You know, I think that I think it's like that. Yeah, maybe it was like when they moved to talkies and you had <laughs> you had actors that were in the silent film, films trying to speak. I'm going to see them. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, it is very pretty, especially this Like this is by far the most outdoors shooting we've seen on Next Gen so far. Mm-hmm. I think there was like one, maybe the holodeck scene from Farpoint was obviously shot outdoors, some of it. But that's probably it. Everything else has been on stages. So to see so much outdoor stuff, which you know looks really beautiful oh and consequently that that's the uh the japanese gardens the tillman water uh, reclamation plant which is like three minutes from my house <laughs> <laughs> i just went there last month um and you know because you, you pay like a two dollars or something you can walk around the japanese gardens it's very pretty and very nice and it looks exactly the freaking same i mean it looks exactly like this maybe that's another reason that it feels so bizarre you know watch it we should all Maybe we should all dress up like those people and run around and film it there. Yeah, that'd be nice. Is it, are those gardens used in several episodes? I mean, is it- oh yeah. Usually, what happens is it's from the other side, and it's Starfleet Academy, and they paint stuff over the top of the Tillman plant. Mm-hmm. So you see like the glass, but then they added some more stuff on top of it. That's what I, I always call it, Starfleet Academy, when we go there. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's huh. from the opposite side. But you you can still see it once you once you know. Yeah, they used it a lot. A lot of a lot of shows actually shoot there all still shoot there all the time. I just um, saw an Ilias rerun the other day where it was doubling for you know Japan. Hey, we got to learn about clean on sex in this episode. Come on, what what more do you want? And it was true. That was exactly what uh, every, everything he says about how rough he, he would have to be. That's how it was when he was with uh, Jadzia. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They also establish. Um, that there's no death penalty, which that's kind of been established in the original series as well. When they said, like in the cage and menagerie, how that there was only one death penalty left, you know, and it had to do with going to Talos Four. But uh, this is the first time in Next Gen that's specifically mentioned. Oh right, yeah, and that's actually kind of um, eloquent the way Picard puts it. I mean, he says something like, um, 
capital punishment is no longer considered a justifiable deterrent. You know, right. and that, that's and that's kind of um, that's still you know a question today. Heck, I, you know, I live in California, and and this is uh, well, okay, now it's December 2012, and just last month we had a, a referendum here where they put it to the people to try and abolish uh, capital punishment in California. Um, you know, we voted to keep capital punishment like 52 um, but it's still it's still a very relevant my point is it's a very relevant question even now that's not they don't they don't get too much into that i think this episode definitely has more to do with um the prime directive and 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 um uh, being empathetic about other cultures views and and, and laws and things but it, you know that's that's a uh very relevant question even today we we do get to see how Ricard operates in this episode you know he's very Deliver, he's, you know, he's very thoughtful, and you know, it, it, you get to see a good contrast between him and um, Captain Kirk. Um, where I don't know, he's more, you know, in his thought. You know, he sits down with Data in that, you know, pre ten forward area, and he's talking, and he's you can he's very thoughtful. And this is how Picard is. This is his style. You know, diplomat type approach to things. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't that I don't know that Kirk would have even let them hang on to Wesley all day. No, no. You know? He would have gone down long enough to have sex with half of them, but then yeah. reading him up. <laughs> he would have he would have asked for one more day. <laughs> I actually there's one little minor thing that I like about his leadership style in this. I like that when he comes like, you know, okay, he's on the planet or they find out about Wesley. He okay, right, he comes down the planet, finds out about Wesley. Uh Troy encourages him, you know, like something about to tell Crusher about her son. He gets up there. He sees her. By now she's heard. He does not say to her immediately, no matter what happens, I will not let them kill your son. He does not say that. You know, she's obviously wanting to hear that. She says some things to him. And he says, I'm considering everything. We need to, I need to talk to Data, you know? And then they have another scene together where she gets upset with Data there and he still doesn't, he just still does not placate her. He's still thinking. I mean, we're pretty sure that's what he's going to do, but but you know, he, even my point is, even with this woman that he cares about and has a history with, seeing how incredibly, knowing how incredibly upset she is, and how much it could uh, um, make her feel better to tell her that he's going to take care of her son, he still doesn't do it because he thinks of you know the more important issues that he has to think about first. Um, and then in the third scene he has with her, he says to her, I want to let you know, I will not let them kill your son. You know, mm-hmm. I like that that is delayed. It also presents some interesting, you know, drama with her, but I really like that. I really, really like that. I've always remembered that, that he, that he, it's a very considered decision. And that, and I'm, and that I'm reminded of that now because you mentioned about the differences between Picard and Kirk. And I think that's another good example. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a consistent quality in him. He's, he's always deliberate and does not let it, and does not let his emotions get the better of him. That, that's just, that's for Picard. The most part. Unless somebody yeah. has a red ball that's drilling into his brain. Sure. <laughs> but that happened to me once, same thing. So mm-hmm. You just go crazy. Um, so what's this episode about? We've got, um, oh, you know, we didn't even mention the whole God thing. That, that, that storyline, I think we've seen it before. It reminded me a little bit, there was, there's at least one episode of the original series, you know, with this, this godlike, well, this this creature or person or technology that far as exceeds 
um, Starfleet that's in orbit or whatever and taking care of the little ones down. Um, they were definitely an episode of the original series reminded me of. It kind of reminded me of the caretaker the pilot from um, Voyager. Um, mm-hmm. We don't do too much of it. It takes me out of it every time God speaks because he sounds like I don't know, Orson <laughs> Wells or something. <laughs> There's an earthquake going on the ship. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, mini earthquake. Um, yeah, they don't get into too much about that. We don't learn too much about their actual relationship. Um, but I didn't want to let that go without even discussing it at all. Um, so what's this episode about? That laws need to be flexible. Picard has the line, uh, there can be no justice as long as laws are absolute. Yeah, I think that sums it up as good as anything, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's also, of course, the notion of, you know, <laughs> what is it, like the whole, the whole thing we've been talking about with the Prime Directive. I mean, clearly there's a, there's inconsistencies, you know, you go messing around with, you know, people that, you know, that are in, in some respect are below your abilities and, and then you mess with their culture and then you, how you handle, you know, it, there's a lesson about just messing with things you shouldn't mess with, I think, too. Starfleet Federation, these people are evolved enough. They're, they're, they're better than us, you know, that's a Gene Roddenberry thing. You know, humans in this century are better than we are in, in our current century, um, not just because of technological advances, but like morally as a species we've evolved. This is not a value judgment to say to say um, the Federation doesn't make contact with pre-warp societies is not saying that they're it's not really saying they're primitive it's not really saying that they are below us or it's just saying that we do not want to um, prematurely affect the the natural evolution of their species once they have warp they're going to meet people so it's okay to introduce yeah. them then anyway. You know, so it. I think it's very careful that it's not a value judgment. We're not saying that we're better than them or anything like that. You know, it is an evolved kind of statement. Um, but you, you, when you interact with them, and you shouldn't be, you end up in this position where you have to try and explain that to them, and you have to explain to them why you're going to violate what the, violate their values, and that's something that is very difficult to do. Um, and that's what Picard is basically unable to do. And that's one of the other things that I do like about this episode is that it doesn't end up all happy um, for the, you know, half-naked people. <laughs> um, that said, I pre- like I said before, I appreciate that this episode tries to be about something. Um, but Caesar, I think you were right when you said it's kind of, it's disjointed because it starts off one way and then it drastically reverts to this almost dramatic thing in the last half and then Steve I think you really made a good point about just overall the when the execution isn't there um, it defeats the it, it takes all the power out of having a, a solid theme and asking these powerful questions you know there are just too many things in this episode that are just that are just silly like, running is the custom. Okay, let's let's run. <laughs> yeah. Of course, that looks silly. I suppose that probably was written. It's not just a flat out directing or something. But of course, that just looks silly. They look like I don't know a bunch of little Easter bunnies or something. <laughs> I love the game of ball. They're just tossing it back and forth while they're running. <laughs> oh, you're great at ball. You're great at this. <laughs> you get <can't add> skill. 
<laughs> West got game. They, I mean, you know, they couldn't come up. Like I said, they were all like, they couldn't come up with a bat. That would have been a little cooler, you know. He hits the ball and Wesley dives for it in the flowers. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> That's what I was expecting. I was like, "Where's the bat?" No, when he, you should have like gone up to one of those plants and just ripped one. <laughs> there we go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, six degrees for justice. I believe Adam has one. Steve has none. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. All right, uh, Adam, you're in lead. You want to go first or second? I'll go first. Josh Clark plays a minor role as the tactical officer that takes over for Yar. I think he does have some have some lines talking about the distance to the half god thing. Uh, Clark played a recurring character for seven episodes of Voyager. Among other things, his lieutenant was going to be the chief engineer until Torres got the job. Name the character. Red-haired. You know, I have no idea what his character's name is. Completely spazzed. Steve? It, Steve? I certainly remember him. And it's one of those things, again, it's kind of on the tip of my tongue, but... Um, he did have an action figure, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I don't think I'm going to come up with it right away. Lieutenant Carey. Ah, yes. Carey. Steve? <clears throat> Richard Lavin played one of the Edo uh, mediators, one of the gentlemen who wished to give Wesley a little plick, prick for playing in the flowers. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in the Next Gen second season episode, Loud as a Whisper, he played one of the Solari that the peace negotiator Riva engages successfully despite his, despite his physical impairment, named this disability. Oh, uh, yeah. He was, uh, he was deaf. Correct. One to one, moving on. Or, wait. Yeah, one to one. That's correct. One to one. The Battle, Season 1, Episode 8, Production Number 110. Original air date, November 16th, 1987. Directed by Rob Bowman. Story by Larry Forrester. Teleplay by Herbert Wright. Music composed by Ron Jones. Guest cast include Frank Corsentino as Bach, Doug Warhit as Kazago, and Robert Towers as Rata. The Enterprise discovers an old-style starship heading towards them while having a conference with a Ferengi captain, Bach. Much to Captain Picard's amazement, he learns from Bach that the ship is the USS Stargazer, the vessel he abandoned nine years early in the famous Battle of Maxia, according to Bach. I'm on the bridge of my old ship. There's fire all around me. The klaxons, smoke. And then I give the order. And now the stargazer is really here. And then that log. Oh, am I going crazy? How do I know I was in my right mind at Maxia? How do I know I'm in my right mind now? If a Ferengi offers you a ship for free, turn around and run the other direction. Yeah. Walk the other way. They just weren't used to him yet, I guess. They're still yeah. new. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. a couple episodes of the first time they'd seen him, and now they're on the, you know, meeting face to face. Mm-hmm. Um, Real quick, was it peculiar to you guys that the um, Ferengi ship was, like, had its butt faced towards the Enterprise? Yeah, like every time screen? on the bridge when they would see it on the view screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just saw the Ferengi butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't figure that one out. Um, 
Stargazer is kind of a cool looking ship, though. I've always thought that. I've always yeah. kind of, it's it's it's, it's 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 like a neat it's like a neat combination between original series and next gen or something. Mm-hmm. Don't they? Isn't there a model of it somewhere on the set somewhere going forward? Like you know, you know, because they have like a little model of the Enterprise, you know, just sitting like on a nightstand or something. I thought I remember seeing it somewhere, but down the line, I'm not sure. Yeah. Is it? Well, yeah. Not. Oh, I'll like like it. in in Picard's quarters or in his ready yeah, room yeah, or something. Some, something yeah. Like that. Yeah, that was weird. I had a memory. This is how long it's been since I've seen this episode. I I thought like Picard was was like the EXO or something, but I don't know. I guess this was, so the Stargazer was his first command. Yeah. Was it his command exactly. right before the Enterprise? No, he must have. He must have had another command between the Stargazer and the Enterprise. I don't know that they established that. Because um, if it was nine years or something before that, that ship went bad. That that ship. Am I missing some time here? Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but uh, they I mean, don't really say. I, I'm relatively familiar with it, and I really don't think they've established that he had a command between them. But they also didn't establish what he was doing. Okay, so he didn't necessarily, you know, wasn't uh, captain of a ship. He could have been. Yeah, working somewhere, you know. Doing mm-hmm. diplomatic stuff, do, making wine. Or you could have been working in a restaurant, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Serving <Steve>. um, <clears throat> Of course, this episode is the debut of Wesley's uh, whatever gray rainbow thing <laughs> outfit. Which is, it's funny, that's my memory of Wesley, Star Trek The Next Generation. That's my memory. That's what I see if I close my eyes. I see that, Wesley. Rainbow yeah, I'm not even sure how long he wore that, you know, but... Mm. It kind of looks like a something you'd something that like the the crew would wear at the oh, like a, towards the early years of Epcot Center to try and look futuristic. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it also <clears throat> this is also the debut of something um, of a Wesley thing that isn't so good. Um, oh, I guess I just implied that the rainbow uniform was great, huh? Um, <laughs> uh, um, so Wesley sees a brain scan, happens to glance and half a second sees a brain scan from Picard while he's in sickbay. Later he's down in engineering and sees some waves coming out of the Frankie butt ship and <laughs> realizes that, oh, look, the Frankie are controlling Picard's mind or something, whatever. And there you go, ladies. Silly adults. I just I just saved everybody again. Um, yeah. And it's that exact kind of thing that, you know, uh, it's asking too much of the audience to buy it, and people don't didn't like Wesley for that sort of thing. Once that stuff kind of start tailing off, does it, is it season two? Do we see a little bit more of that? Yeah, Whenever leaves, I think. Yeah, I was going to say I don't think it does. I don't remember it ever tapering off. I think it was pretty much there the whole time, and then it it, it seems like there was a concentration <laughs> early on, certainly, and um, I don't I can't recite a whole lot of specific examples of saving the day as it progressed, but certainly in early days it was at its worst, its peak, you know. Well, the, the episodes he did with Ashley Judd were, those were good. There was well, a wasn't that, Oh, well, the one I'm, like, my, the, the Wesley episodes I kind of like are the ones that he does after he leaves, when he comes yeah. back. Yeah, like yeah, for the sure. Game, that's, that, the game had uh, Judd, and that, that, was, that was a great episode. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, anyway. So, yeah, this, this has the very example of the, some of the things that a lot of people didn't like about Wesley. Again, I'm not necessarily among those. When I'm talking about this, I'm really just reporting on this for you know edification's sake. I don't remember – I never really I – never, I never really got annoyed by Wesley, and I didn't I, – I never disliked him in the way that pretty much everybody else I have ever known did. 
you know, he was never Jar Jar Binks for me, ever. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's just because I was exactly the target audience. You know, I was 11 years old when Next Gen um, debuted. You know, so I was, the, he was the person I identified with. Um, for years, I watched more Next Gen than, I didn't start, I didn't get into the original series until I got a little bit older. You know, until I was like 18 or 19, and then I went nuts for the original series. Um, but anyway, uh, so this episode, <clears throat> um, it's an interesting kind of storyline. It's 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 a little more of it's a little more like what I'm going to think of as a traditional kind of next gen episode. I, I, the quality still isn't there, obviously. Um, the execution, the writing, all that stuff is not as good as we're going to get later. Um, but it feels a little more, bit more like like this episode. They probably could have done this script. A couple seasons later, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think I think what I like most about it is is kind of from the geeky standpoint is the history established stuff, you know, where it's like, okay, let's learn about the Stargazer, let's learn about what Picard did before this whole Picard maneuver thing. Those are things I always remember, you know, these these right. these little tidbits. Picard maneuver is really cool. I always remember that too. Yeah, definitely. I was kind of wondering why they don't do it more often. It seems like a pretty deadly way to destroy a ship. I get it, but I don't get it too. You know, I understand where they're saying, but at the same time, it's like, what? You know, I mean, it, it, I think they they kind of overplay it with the way they show it on screen, literally showing them at, in two places at once. Yeah, because I think it has, in my mind, it only it works more like as a, you know, in the heat of battle, everything's going really really fast. You're not relying on what you see on the view screen. You're relying on the sensor readings and stuff. You know, that's mm-hmm. fast, and so. My, well, you also get the point blank. Firing, you know, you're. That's, I think that was another reason. Yeah, but my my image of it is with with sense readings and things. Um, you could very very quickly it, it could appear like they're in two places, and then you wouldn't know which one to shoot fire at. Although, well, I don't know. I, I suppose if they if they were in one spot, and then all of a sudden they're in two spots, I would assume they're in the spot that they <laughs> weren't in before. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's not overthink it. It's a cool looking thing. Um, it's a cool idea. And even the way they the way they do some of the the stuff on the Stargazer Bridge, well, not just that, but the first time Picard has his little flashbacky sort of things, it's um, in his quarters, and then they do the same thing again with like these ghost image of of people of you know the bridge crew. That's it's a cool effect, um, and it's definitely that's an example. Not have seen something like that um, on the original series, just from an effects point of view. Um, I think what could have made this episode a little stronger for me, you know, they just barely get into this idea of the Ferengi, uh, you know, of Bach reprogramming, uh, the logs or whatever to try and make it look like Picard was guilty of, um, firing, um, on, um, an innocent ship. I think if they'd spent a little more time with that, done that a little bit better, made, made people kind of this is early enough in next gen you could have had some people that felt like they didn't know the captain well enough to to kind of question this i think there could have been a little bit more interesting drama in there um i, I don't know that that seemed like something that they basically gloss over you know it have there's almost like just one scene oh these logs are say this well they obviously they were faked of course and then the very next time we talk about it is 
uh, yeah, we proved they were faked. I, I don't know. I just felt like that could have been, uh, maybe that would have been a more interesting route. Yeah. Uh, but we see, we see, we see a lot of, uh, of cool stuff. Just like you said, with history, we see some cool stuff with, um, the ships, something as simple, you know, think back to the original series and any time there was like more than one ship, you basically never saw that. <laughs> he was yeah. always talking about it. They just couldn't, they couldn't afford it. They didn't have time. They didn't have the money, you know, but here just something as simple as seeing the stargazers in front of the enterprise. Now, that's cool. That's, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And of course, HD, it looks beautiful. Um, you know, there's another thing I, I liked a lot. And we kind of, you kind of alluded to it was the notion about, you know, about the time where he's he's still dealing with this forged logs and, of course, the headaches, and the, and the conversations with Crusher. You know, I mean, obviously, over the course of the series, many of them get strong ties and become close friends. But, or especially early on, it's it's him and Crusher, and Crusher is really the only one he can totally just open up with and let it all out as the captain because they have their history and stuff. And it's it's that was nice to see. It's it seemed very uh, real their conversation. Yeah, it's one of the things that in this series as a whole, I remember feeling disappointed about that we didn't mm-hmm. any more of that. I mean, so many of the other people, they do develop their relationships, um, but maybe for the sake of drama, I don't know. But they, but they, they let those things go. You know, it feels like we get this, and then we don't get anything again until the last season with, um, well, the episode where they're joined together or whatever. Yeah. Um, I would have liked more of that in retrospect, but but yeah, this is you're right. This is a good example of um, their kind of natural conversation, just because they they were friends. Um, you think her leaving for a season might have hurt that kind of? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's that's another nice thing I got from the you know that Thursday night thing, uh, the Fathom event. I didn't realize it was so clear cut that she was flat out fired. <laughs> those some of the special features that they that are on those Blu-rays that they put up at that event. I mean, I, I'd always kind of heard that, I'd read stuff about that, but it was always still kind of on the fence enough that well, maybe it was mutual. That no, no, she was fired. You know, so it was interesting to read about that. But anyway, it's not really about this episode. Uh, so, we'll, we'll get into that later. Yeah, well, um, anything else you guys want to talk about this episode? So we got we had, had a lot of Ferengi stuff. The Ferengi are given a little bit more of an opportunity um but still they're they're going to stay pretty one-dimensional um there's not a lot to them uh this whole revenge motive it's it's an interesting thing um with the ball and giving him headaches i i do remember that i remember that scene um uh, although all those scenes that, that's and, and as I said they could have done this episode later and a lot of the times it's kind of a compliment to me if 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 I say I thought that episode was in a season after the first season <laughs> you know I got, um, hey, I, got, I got a quick question Steve might know this was this is this this isn't the last time that we'll see a Ferengi try to take out Picard right isn't there isn't there an episode where they like fake like he has a son yeah, if anything, I think that his plan, box plan in that sixth or seventh season episode is a better plan than this one. You know, the way that he brings his, he makes up a son so that he can kill him uh, to for revenge for his son rather than what he's doing here. I always kind of wondered, like, exactly what was his plan in the end? Like, it's this, his plan in this episode, the battle is good just to give Picard, a, you know, a pain in the head. <laughs> um, but beyond that, like, did he think that, 
the Stargazer was going to battle the Enterprise and destroy one? I, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It seemed like it was inevitable that it was going to end up with um, Bach being found out. And But anyway, I'm over just analyzing it. Uh, what's this episode about, guys? Do you guys uh, like this episode? Do you guys like this I episode? did. I, it was, it's I, entertaining. Yeah, I kind of like it. I mean, certainly for a first season episode. Um, and I'll probably something to do with revenge and um, how it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> revenge bad. Yeah. yeah. Especially when there's no profit in it. Ah, yeah. There you go. I don't know. Also, like what you and Steve were talking about, you know, the nostalgia of it. You know, we get to go back. We get to see, you know, the stargazer. We get to find out about Picard. Yeah, there might be a little bit of you can't go back kind of thing in there too. So I, I don't think it's a really strong mot- uh, moral thing here to this, but it's certainly got to be the primary thing's got to be about revenge. But there's probably a little bit also of you know not being able to really go back. You got to move forward. Well, that's what you know. I think it could have been stronger if they they had just a tiny bit of some of these little themes they just hinted on. But if they'd really grabbed onto one and really focused on it. And really tried to make the episode about something rather than just being so, you know, um, plot driven, which is what it is. Um, then I think it, it could have been good. You know that yes, any of those things you just said. Uh, uh, you know the nature of memory. You know if you'd played on if you'd really you know Picard had one little line about how do I know I was in my right man mind at Maxia? How do I know I'm in my right mind now? You know, if they'd really played up that, as I'd mentioned, if they'd really played up convincing people that, you know, maybe Picard did something wrong then, played up convincing him that maybe he did something wrong, you know, and, and examine kind of the nature of memory, for example. You know, all of these things are, these are interesting questions that they, they get at with a single line, you know, but that, is not enough, as we've seen time and again in our podcast, that is not enough to define the theme of an entire episode. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. I enjoy this episode for the history. Um, I think that the story was probably sound, but they're still kind of finding their way in how to execute these things. Um, So, all right, let's move on. Six degrees for the battle. What's our score? One one. <clears throat> All right. This is for the game, guys. Uh, Steve, you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Frank Corsentino played Bach, the Ferengi bent on revenge that is a pain in Picard's hit. In Next Gen's third season, he played a Ferengi named Tog in the episode Menage à Troy. In this episode, he kidnaps Deanna and Loaxana Troy, as well as an additional member of the Enterprise crew named this third kidnappee. Oh, um, was it not uh, Riker? You are correct. It was Riker. Uh, Adam, <laughs> tried and tie for the day. Trying to tie in it for the day. In Voyager's final season, Corsentino, same guy, played. Uh, Gigas, Gigas, in the episode Inside Man. Uh, Gigas and Nunk are Ferengi that attempt to trick Voyager's crew so that they can steal 709's nanoprobes for profit. Their scheme involves using a holographic projection of what Starfleet officer? Holographic projection? Um, I guess it would be the doctor. 
No, it was Barclay. Barclay. All right. Uh, you didn't Steve, even let Steve to... guess. Oh, I didn't. Well, Steve already won, so <laughs> two to one. Would you have known it, Steve? Um, I, I didn't recall it offhand, no. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, you know, in a couple of weeks, well, okay, we're not going to be doing that. Our next next gen discussion, uh, we've got a couple of of uh, episodes I'm looking forward to discussing very much. Uh, and then, you know, by the one after that, there's a couple more. So, uh, you know, it's, it's looking up and up and that's great. And um, we've got a couple of things here in our schedule to, to talk about. Oh, let's get to that one second. First of all, um, I wanted to mention that last week, so yeah, I saw the Fathom event. I guess I already talked about it, but it was great. Um, you know, I didn't get to go to the, the season one uh, deal because they had sold out, but I went to the season two one. They clearly sold out again. Uh, yeah, they did um, Q-Who and Measure of a Man, and the Measure of a Man was the extended version, which was awesome. That was the main thing. You know, so it had like an extra 12 or 13 minutes, which is wow. a lot for a 46-minute episode to have another mm-hmm. dozen minutes. It was crazy. And yeah, there were there were a couple of shorter scenes that were probably redundant, you know, and didn't really need to be there. But there were a couple that were awesome. One in particular that was great. I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's you know getting the Blu-ray soon, um, but it's a testament to uh, how good they are that they blend in so well that you have to be like, oh, oh yeah, that was a new scene. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. they don't stick out or anything. Clearly, these things were cut for the most part. They were cut for time, um, and they mentioned in one of they played you know they like before they they played some of the special features they played like snippets of special features that are going to be on the Blu-ray, and uh, one of them was an interview with um, Linda Snodgrass and she talked about the writer of Measure of a Man, and she just mentioned that you know she wrote her dialogue at a very different pace than um, than the way it was directed and that's how it ended up so far over, um, so it wasn't that she wrote it with the intention of all this stuff being cut out. So, so that was the coolest thing, of course. Um, as far as the quality, um, there have been some complaints online, people talking about the, uh, the effects work isn't as good in this season two HD stuff because, uh, CBS, uh, digital farmed it out. Like they didn't have time to finish themselves. So they farmed it out. Um, I can't really judge that based on seeing the fathom event. Personally, I've always thought fathom stuff doesn't really look that good. There's something about the way that they, you know, blow it up to the screen that it just doesn't, it's never looked that great to me, but you know, I mean, clearly this, everything was HD, nothing stuck out to me as bad. And when there was a fair amount of special effects, especially in, you know, uh, Q who had a lot, obviously. Um, so there was nothing that stuck out as, Oh my God, that was awful. I, I, you know, I'm just as excited, probably more so to watch season two than season one, uh, for episodes like measure of a man and Q who, um, so uh, that was great. So, you know, Steve, you got to go to the first one. I got to go to the second one. I am sure these things are selling well enough, uh, the Fathom events, that I'd be shocked if they don't continue to do it. I highly anticipate they'll, they will continue. Um, so that was exciting. And then the other thing we wanted to touch on uh, was that to, just today, as we are recording this on a Monday, uh, the Monday before the Thursday that where they're going to put this podcast online, and just today... Paramount released the first teaser poster for the new Star Trek film, Star Trek Into Darkness. And uh, I made sure that Mr. Caesar and Mr. Embry saw that poster, but we have not discussed it in any way. And so uh, we're going to briefly discuss it right now. And for our listeners, if you're listening to this after other posters have been released, who knows? uh, This is the poster with 
what I presume is the villain and therefore Benedict Cumberbatch kind of standing in the center of uh, a bunch of debris that's in the shape of kind of the Delta shield. And you can see a, a city skyline in the background. Uh, some people online have reported that to be the London skyline, which, okay, I, I'm, I'll take their word for that. Um, and then I'm just, you know, it's a teaser poster, so there's no like cast or crew information. It just says the title at the bottom, which is Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, so that's the poster we're talking about. What do you guys think? Um, I guess it's going to be a dark movie. Yes, it's very. <laughs> it is very, very, very dark. It's got to be the darkest Star Trek thing I've ever seen. Maybe poster, at least. Yeah. What struck What struck me is I, I felt uh, I don't want to get too negative, but I felt like we're a little bit back to <clears throat> let's hide. This is a Star Trek movie thing, like we've seen in the past. The, the font, like where it says at the bottom, where it says Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek is much smaller. The font is much smaller size than Into Darkness, mm-hmm. and it's almost like a darker text. So you almost have to look double, do a double take to make sure you can see the word Star Trek. Yeah, for me, when I first glanced at it, granted, I, when I first saw it, it was on my mobile phone, but when I first glanced at it, I see there's a dude, there's a trench coat or a cape, and it says Into Darkness, and then you have to keep looking for the Star Trek, and you got to keep looking for the Delta emblem and those kinds of things, you know, so it's, it's very subtle, you know. Uh, to be honest, I briefly thought it was a Superman poster. Because that's coming out next summer too. So briefly, there was a new Supes poster today. I I haven't seen it, but um, yeah. Well, it's the other thing is it's it's boy JJ sure loves Christopher Nolan. (laughs) (laughs) The Dark Knight was was a Rises teaser poster, right? With the one where you're like you're like looking up at all these skyscrapers and the way that they are they they form the shape of the sky coming down between them is the shape of the, you know, the bat symbol. Well, do you think this would have been an Abrams thing or just some marketing people at Paramount? I'm certain Abram had, Abrams had something to do with it. Okay. Um, I mean, hey, remember that incredible teaser for his last movie where we saw the Enterprise under construction? Right. That was footage that was just for the teaser and Abrams shot that himself just for the teaser. Yeah, he's he's involved in the, the marketing. Well, that's the other thing too is we we still haven't heard officially. You know, we know that they're playing like the first eight or nine minutes of the movie, which is presumably IMAX uh, ahead of the Hobbit IMAX, which comes out in a couple weeks. Um, but then there's that's official, but it's not a trailer. It's just like the first nine minutes of the movie. Also, something Chris Nolan did <laughs> uh, last year, um, and the movie before that too. Uh, but the rumor is that there's a trailer that's going to be on non-IMAX versions of The Hobbit, but I I haven't seen that officially. I'm just hearing that as a rumor. But at any rate, this poster certainly um, seems like it's going to be a dark movie. It, I mean, it looks like, you know, catastrophic. Last week, of course, they released the official synopsis, which isn't very detailed, but generally says something about, um, you know. Chaos. Yes, and it implies that it's on Earth, maybe, like this poster does. Um, so, it, you know, you certainly get the sense that it's going to be the crazy Hollywood blockbuster follow-up to what was already the most uh, mainstream, successful Star Trek um, piece ever. 
And I, I have no problem with, people seem to think that I like, I, me being a Star Trek nut, that I, um, that I don't want everybody and their mother to go see Star Trek. Well, that's not true. I, 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 wanted, I wanted it to be universal. I want more people to go see it. I think it's great that Abrams got so many non-Star Trek people to go see Star Trek. I think it's great that it's almost 50 years old and it's still, you know, and it's getting, it's increasing its numbers and not, it's not decreasing. That's awesome. Um, you know, after the last movie, I went to live just a tiny bit that it was very exciting and action packed, but, but I, you know, maybe it didn't have as much to say. Like our podcast is about what's this thing about? Like I didn't have a good enough, I didn't have a lot of answers. So what? It, it was, it was freaking exciting. And this poster makes it look like they're doing what a sequel is bigger, badder, more badasser, right? So, hey. So, I mean, do you know? So, are they signed on to do another one, or is it just kind of picture by picture with Abrams? Or is he agree? Three, so that would be one more. Now, you're talking about cast, right? Yeah, cast and director. So, I mean, well, this would kind of make sense if you did the, you know, the three plot point thing. You know, it's like, you know, the second one's generally going to be the dark one, you know, that we yeah. see that on a lot of trilogies. So, I mean, so it would make sense that this one would be a, a dark movie. I saw something from the writers about. And they considered doing uh, something that would be more clearly left in a, in a cliffhanger or something to go into a third film, and they decided not to do that. I don't know exactly what that means, but um, it, definitely all the cast is signed on for three, uh, which would be one more past this one. As far as if, you know, I'm sure Abrams would be at least involved in a producing aspect, but um, I would be surprised if he decided to to direct a third one unless just this one just makes money through the roof and Paramount says you can have whatever you want just direct this movie mm-hmm. but anyway this poster nothing else to me it was very exciting just to see something from the damn movie because we haven't seen anything and it's coming out in a few months hmm. okay you guys want to say anything else about that I don't think so <clears throat> okay so uh in two weeks, we are going to have our holiday episode. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be talking about Christmas the whole time. Maybe we're just going to tell some Star Trek stories or whatever. Um, and we'll have some Christmassy stuff. And it just means that we're going to take a little break from our normal format. We're going to just have some fun and talk Star Trek fan stuff. Uh, we've already had a couple of people send in ideas for stuff for us to discuss, which we're going to do. Um, if, you know, it's not too late. Uh, if you get this to us, um, you know, by the... I don't know, the 10th of December or so, then we could probably, if you have any ideas, we could probably incorporate them. So in two weeks, we're going to be doing that. And then we're going to take a little break. We'll let you you know exactly how long, probably just three weeks instead of our usual two uh, between that episode and getting back into uh, next gen. So uh, in the meantime, um, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook fan page is... uh, listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Uh, if you are so inclined, if you left us a review on iTunes, I know it's a little bit of work, but you could do it very quickly. Um, and that is the single greatest thing you can do for us. We do this show for free. Uh, we don't even put ads on it. Actually, we spend money to make this show. <laughs> um, 
just for you guys. And the, the, the thing that we get out of it is when people find it and listen to it, and the more people listen to it, the more rewarding it is for us. And anytime somebody leaves a review on iTunes, uh, it helps people find us. So that's the, that's the one thing you can do for us. That'd be awesome. Uh, consider it a Christmas present. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye, guys. See you.